And that is filmmaker James Dean. How are you doing, sir? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me on, man. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about today, folks, James has a new movie out, Triple Xmas. I know he's got another film about to release, too. We'll touch on that as well. I had the chance to catch Triple Xmas and watched it last night uh, on an on-demand service and uh, really enjoyed that film. But uh, Thank you. And much deserved. But uh, where I'd like to really start things off at is just kind of talk to you, uh, you know, kind of what started this journey and your interest in filmmaking in general. I can pinpoint kind of the moment that I I think I kind of like fell in love with film. Um, And it's more of like, to me, it always kind of came across as like more like a magical moment. Like there is so much magic, really filmmaking, not, not, not so much. I mean, filmmaking too, but watching a film, especially as a child, it's like watching magic unfold because you don't know how any of these things are happening. And when you're really little, you're seeing these things and you you know at a certain point you believe everything you see it's like oh my god that's possible you know right and i remember distinctly i don't remember the movie but i remember like running up the little ramp um so <laughs> when i was when i was a kid there were little ramps that went up to the theater and like there was these little track lights that kind of followed the ramps and i'm we're going back a while and like I just remember those light the lights like lighting up and me getting so excited just seeing that in my head it made me think about oh I'm about to watch this magic unfold whatever it was you know if it was like Indiana Jones or Goonies or whatever as I got a little bit older uh, Ninja Turtles you know sure and I didn't actually pursue filmmaking until I was in my mid 30s and at that point I I was way past the threshold of what the average person would start you know um but all that magic and just the love for film and not just like one kind of film i love everything i love sleazy films i love trash films i love you know highbrow film whatever i don't care what you call it i love all of it and i don't feel like there's a need to like justify why i like one thing over another um i love films that a week later i'm still thinking about them you know and having deep conversations with my friends about them or my, my you know my girlfriend um so I, I just love the entire experience, uh, both ends, you know, uh, watching a film and also now making films. It's it's like magic to me. It, it really is. Uh, what was kind of the switch or the moment that you kind of shifted gears and you decided to start making films in your 30s? Because, you know, as you said, that's kind of stereotypically a little late to uh, oh, often sure. begin that journey. For sure. It definitely is. And um, I've even heard people say, uh, <laughs> I've heard a couple indie filmmakers who I don't know if they've ever actually made any any films, but they're pretty big with their podcast. And they have a lot of opinions on indie film. And they say that if you don't start pursuing indie film or film in general in your early 20s, you might as well just give up. And I think that's, if I look at you and I say, you should stop doing fill in the blank, and you stop doing it, maybe maybe you weren't 
cut out for it. Sure. But you should never take my, you should never take what I'm saying t- to lead what you're doing in your life. You know, like right. I'm nobody, you know, just like if you told me not to make any films. Okay, cool. I respect your opinion. Uh, it was nice talking to you. We'll finish the podcast and I'll go on and keep making films, you know? <laughs> right. Um. So to go back to your question though, you, you, you asked, I, I get sidetracked. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I was just asking, you know, like kind of, was there a light switch moment that, you know, you decided to shift gears and say, okay, I'm going to pursue this filmmaking thing, especially, you know, being in your mid thirties. I think that, you know, I wanted to from my, tw- in my twenties, but I didn't come from a background that was very supportive of art. I feel like, um, and it wasn't necessarily just, um, front and center. You shouldn't do art. You shouldn't do filmmaking, anything like that. It wasn't even so much that it was pushed out there. It was just that you need money to pay, pay bills. <laughs> both of my parents worked full time, uh, you know, and they both struggled financially. And so it was always, you work, you make money, you pay bills, you go back to work. And it's like a cycle, you know? Right. And I think in my thirties, I kind of, I kind of realized that if I was ever going to do that in any shape or form, any way, if I was even going to try, I needed to get on it then, you know, and I needed to start then. And so I, I think it was just like, as far as like a light switch moment, it was just realizing that I was either making excuses or I was just, a lot of times people make excuses. Why not to pursue anything in life? You know, sure. Absolutely. And I think for me, uh, the big one was that I, I can't come up with a good enough idea of something to shoot, even if it's just by myself or if I have friends over and we're shooting something. Um, and, you know, and then eventually I just became more and more comfortable with it. And that even kind of that didn't happen all at once, really, because I remember a year in and I had made a few short films and they were horrible. I mean, they're still on my YouTube page. I I have no reason to ever take them down. I think it's awesome to watch the progression, but they were bad. And, um, I mean, they were bad and (laughs) it was my, it was in like in my head. If I had you over to do a scene with one other actor, I would get you in and out as quick as possible because I felt like I was spending your time and your time was valuable. But what I didn't understand was the faster I got you out, the less the quality was, the less I was learning and your time was being wasted just the same because you're already there and you're donating. And at that time, you're donating, contributing your time to the project. And, you know, it it, it just doesn't it's a way of thinking about things. But, you know, so it was kind of progression of me doing bigger and bigger projects and then having other people come in and collaborate with me. And I think the collaboration really opened me up to other things. I remember the first time I had someone shoot a short film for me that I didn't shoot myself. And I was so nervous because I had never worked with someone else. And this person I considered very talented and much younger than me. And, you know, like it was just, sure. it's it's one of those things. And again, I learned so much just from that, you know, just the communication right. about it. But I, I think it's, I, I don't think it was just a light switch moment of all or nothing. I think... I had this moment where I realized I needed to start on it, but the level of comfort of me having people around and having them spend their time on the project that I either wrote or I'm directing or wrote and directing. Um, it's, you know, it took a while to get comfortable with that (laughs) for sure. 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 Are you a guy that feels like you have to have kind of control of all the moving parts or can you delegate? I, I love delegating. Um, so it, it's it's funny because indie film is such a weird thing. Sure, you have so many different you have so many different 
parts and and pieces to the puzzle just like any 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 like artistic endeavor but with indie film if you're trying to follow the like the paradigm or how it's done in hollywood you need all these extra people and the truth is with indie film you're never just directing i, I even if you're at the 500 600 700,000 budget i know someone who directed a a, a film and he was at the, around the $700,000 budget and he wasn't just directing you know he wanted to be just directing, um, but he was also producing, and and that's still, it, it's tough, you know. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, so you know, I, often I have done directing and uh, wardrobe and producing and just right. you know, eight first AD stuff, you know. And sometimes yeah. that's just, you know, a, a, a great first AD will really make your life so much easier on on set, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, when it comes to indie filmmaking, filmmaking too, and I think you're making this point as well, but we'll just, we'll hammer it home is you don't often have the resources at your fingertips that obviously a bit like a big production does. And right. It's not staffed quite the same and you have to be kind of like lean and mean. Uh, so that's why I like a lot of people typically wear hats uh, in indie filmmaking too. Right. Yeah. No, definitely. And I will say that like, you know, and all, all the projects I've worked on, everybody has always been really amazing. And our first film that came out, it, it, it took us a long time to get that one together, you know? Um, but we, so, you know, that was Fontaine. I just call it Fontaine for short. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we shot Absolution and then now we shot Triple Xmas and each one has been such a large learning, um, exp- like a learning experience, you know, but yeah. they, they're all they've all been so different and we've tried something slightly different with each one um with triple xmas we shot nine days in a row with no breaks and it was just too hard on the crew the cast we kind of stacked in a way where we shot three days with people and then they either were done or they had one day off and then they had a couple more days but the crew which was a bare bones crew to begin with they were they were beat up and there were a couple cast members who were also part of the crew and so not only were they acting, they were also crew and it was just, it was too much, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, we were able to get it done and get everything we needed. Um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> so I, I yeah. won't do it that way again. I'll, 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 it'll be a slightly different approach in the future. Sure. Well, it's a learning experience. And sure. I think that, you know, every good filmmaker, Mark of a good filmmaker is they learn with each outing. And uh, I think it was like a discussion I was having with somebody here recently, but we were even talking about like Martin Scorsese and just seeing like the trajectory of his career as a director and like where his narratives have went and his storytelling has went even present days, like even mm-hmm. currently taking risks at his age. And uh, you have to admire the ambition as well. Right. No, I, I think I think if you're an artist of any kind and you're not taking some sort of chance and doing something different, I don't know. It kind of becomes the same thing, right? Like, sure. and like, if you're known for something and people love you for that and you're doing it as a business, sure. If you can sell more of that and you can package it slightly different, but it's the same thing and you're happy and you're content. Fine. I mean, I, I, you know, I would have nothing against someone doing that. Um, for me, I think it's half and half. Like there has to be a business aspect to it. If you want to keep doing it. Sure. Um, because you have to be able to raise funds for the next one. You have to, sure. be able to pay for everything. You have to be and profitable. So, yeah. 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 I mean, dude, it's a I'm happy right. if I even break even. I mean, <laughs> right. Right. 
But um, yeah, no, that is the goal, though, is that, you know, one day I can make enough off of this that I don't also have to work a full time job and, you know, make so many concessions at that even, you know, because sure. um, I, I work about it depends, but I work about 35 hours a week right now. And then for the last nine months, well, 12 months, I would say now <laughs> for the last year, I've put in an additional 35 to 50 hours a week on this film. Yeah. And that's not an exaggeration. So yeah, you calculate all that in have, you know, a relationship with another human being and you have friends right. and you try to go to the gym three or four days a week. And yeah. it's just, yeah, yes, it, it's tough. <laughs> yep, it's hard to juggle life sometimes. Uh, you did mention earlier Fontaine, uh, that's Fontaine and the vengeful nun, right? Your yeah. first film. Yeah. Uh, would you say that there's any big lessons that you learned from making that first film going into triple Xmas? And I know you already had mentioned that you learned some lessons with triple Xmas that you're going to change in the future. Oh, for sure. I, yeah. yeah. I, uh, so with Fontaine, uh, I, I would say Fontaine will forever be a movie that when I watch it, I'll always smile and be happy. And it's not that it's a perfect film because None of my movies are perfect films. They'd kind of be boring if they were, honestly. But um, I think I I will always say Fontaine is the film that taught me how to make films. We spent we shot one day a week for nine months on Fontaine. Nine wow. months. Now we had to take a three month break uh, because of COVID and like the lockdowns. And then when we came back, we started with outside scenes and kind of stuff like that. Just kind of. Right. I mean, you He's know, things were. It. Yeah, yeah, things were pretty pretty touch and go there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But we were we were persistent enough and people were passionate enough that they all came back to the project after 3 months off and you know, that was a 29 shoot day schedule. 29 days over 9 months, you know. Yeah. Usually one day a week. Um Absolution, which is the next one to come out, we shot over 3 months and that was 21 shoot days. And then uh Triple Xmas we the bulk of it we shot in nine days uh wow. and it, it was nine days in a row <laughs> yeah and um we came Quite back in schedules for sure oh, for sure for sure but each one taught me something i i yeah. think triple xmas taught me how hard i could push myself and other people what is reasonable what reasonable expectations i could you know have um and also when i write and when i also write with my co-writer i, I tend to write very big with in the back of my head, always a backup plan of we can do this. If we need to, we can cut this back or pull this back, you know? Right. Um, and that's, you know, with indie film, you have to be ready to pivot. Um, sure. if something goes wrong, you know, with nine shoot days with practical effects, we did almost all practical effects on this film. Uh, it was, right. you know, every kill except one was practical. And that one kill we attempted it three times with practical effects and it just was not happening. It, it, I spent three different times trying to shoot that same thing. <laughs> yeah. And it just wasn't working. And, um, you know, but with practical effects, one effect that's supposed to take 20 or 30 minutes on set, you know, not including the makeup application and everything, um, that can turn into four hours. And if you only have a 10 or 12 hour day planned and a third of it just got ate up by one effect, by one kill, that's that's tough to kind of yeah kind of work with <laughs> absolutely absolutely no question about it uh now we're we're talking a little bit about some of the things that go down in triple xmas and i definitely want to get into that um 
But one thing I noticed, and you kind of touched on this too, like people that you work with, I noticed that you use a lot of the same people throughout your films, uh, like frequent collaborators, if you will. And that's something that I always find very interesting. And I always like to see that in filmmakers, like somebody, for example, that's jumped out right to me right away. was like Kurt Abishan you use across yeah, all yeah, your films. Yeah. I love, I yeah. love Kurt. Uh, so, so I, there's a couple things. Okay. So there's a couple things with that. Uh, one, if someone's talented, that's awesome. But I'll be honest with you. There's been a few people that have been ta- like super talented that I I'll never have, I'll never work with again. Just I'll be honest with you. And then there's people that you see coming back over and over again. And th- there's also people that I haven't had a chance to work with again that are super talented that you'll see eventually back again for sure. Cause I have some people that I, that I absolutely love that I've worked with that I just haven't had the chance to bring them back. Cause there wasn't a character that was kind of right for them. Sure. But, um, I Tiny. love, Right. Yeah. Timing characters, just, just everything. Um, I love Kurt. I I love a lot of the people that I work with and I, when I start to write something new, because I know these actors and I know their strengths also, especially with people that are just starting out acting or newer or sometimes just friends, you know, the lead of my first film was someone I played Dungeons and Dragons with and, (laughs) and she, (laughs) You know, she had a little bit of acting, a little bit of acting background. And, you know, we made a short film together. We made two short films together. And then after that, I we w- wanted to make this feature film with her as the same character she was in one of the short films. And, you know, if I ever make a sequel to Fontaine, it, the only way I will do it is if she's back. You know, I can tell you that right now. That's the only way I'd ever do it. But I love having a rapport with people. You become friends and family with them, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the work environment also creates kind of a shorthand as well. Like, you know, you don't have to necessarily get into the weeds with some of those people that are a little bit more seasoned having worked with you in the past too. I I think that's important. I think I, I don't want to like over exaggerate this, but I think that's even more important with like a a director of photography or a first AD because they're the people that are setting up everything behind the scenes. And if you if there's a miscommunication with them, right. things can be thrown off by an hour or more with an actor. Usually it's something that can be rectified in a few minutes, maybe um, right. also, especially with indie film when possible, I try to do a lot of the direction before we're ever on set. I try to give, even if it's not in the script, one or two or three paragraphs of background on the character. That way it gives the actor something to work with. Otherwise they're just sure. bringing the, they're just making this stuff up in their head, which is fine. Also, um, but if they're going the wrong direction with it, it's so much easier to kind of get that, like to, to, to bring life to the character together at the beginning than to have someone go a specific direction with it. And then you come in and tell them that's not right. That's not the way we're going with it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Absolutely. You know, well, you, again, you've mentioned it, but you're giving people more resources to do their job. And that's just like a mark of a good leader, regardless if you were directing a film or. You know, you, you're, you're marching the infantry down the line, you know, you got to give, you got to give people tools to do the job. Right. Right. And you know, like, and those things that, that, uh, you know, uh, day one, I knew none of this, like none of it. So like over the last seven years, this is all now I, I do have a background. I had, I've had a couple small businesses, um, at different times. At one time I had like up to 10 employees. I absolutely hated it. You know, I hated it. Um, people with, and it's a janitorial company. So like people that are cleaning unsupervised, which is what most cleaning positions are at when you have right. that small of a crew and that, you know, accounts and whatnot, 
it's it's very very difficult to keep them doing what you need them to do and just even right. showing up half the time <laughs> right 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 so being on set with people it's it's a lot easier um and again when you're directing ideally you have an, a first ad that steps in and is helping run the set so you're not running the set you're directing making adjustments you know if you need to do something else you can kind of pivot uh you know but right, um, right. yeah yeah yeah, you got to be a little bit more liquid and uh, sure. malleable. Sure. Yeah. Now, uh, I, of course, got the chance to see Triple Xmas last night. And what was the official release date on Triple X? It just came out this month, correct? Yeah, December 8th. I had to, okay. look, at, I had to look at my calendar. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. December you 8th. So we premiered yeah, that but, at the high point, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I, officially, I guess December. Ooh, um, yeah, we had a premiere. I don't remember even when that was. Now I feel like it's so long ago. That was so. That was on December second. Uh, we had okay. a, a premiere, and then it, it it. So we had a premiere at High Point, December second. We had a screening in Philadelphia on December seventh, and then on December eighth, it started streaming at NewVillageVideo.com. And then um, we actually have this weekend, tomorrow, uh, Friday, we have um, we have another screening at the Arcaden, which is like a micro cinema. Yeah. I just found out today that it's, uh, I think it has one ticket left, which is awesome. I mean, like. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then on the 20th and 21st, we have screenings in New Orleans at the Zeitgeist Theater, which is like an art house theater. And um, I just found out today also that those are pr the one day is almost sold out also. So I'm, I'm pretty hyped about that. <laughs> That's awesome. I never, you know, like you never know, you know, you sure. just don't know. And I've sure. put a lot of time and even money in just trying to market things a little bit. And sometimes it feels like you're just like tossing time and money and effort into and a hole and it just n nothing, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. tough. You don't know what works, what doesn't, it's hard to track um, the metrics of what is working and what's not sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I hear that one hundred percent. I think you're gonna really. Uh, have you been to uh, the Arcaden before? Cinema? I have not. I have not. Okay. But as soon as I started talking to the uh, the owners, I absolutely like right away realized they are my kind of people. <laughs> yeah, they're great people. Yeah, great, great people. Yeah. We we yeah. shot a scene right next door at the Heavy Anchor um, yeah. for Fontaine, and uh, okay. we were there for two two weekends shooting a bar scene that turned into like this blood bloody gory katana nun yeah and madness and um and yeah so i mean you know at that point our cotton wasn't there so i'm i'm really pumped to, to go there and then really kind of just rub elbows a little bit with them because like i've seen the lineup of the other films they play and that that gets me excited because those are the kind of people that i i would have been friends with in high school you know <laughs> yeah yeah they're really great people we had a chance to uh do a small business on site with them Oh, for awesome. our podcast. So got to know those folks there. Um, and I've caught a couple showings there. Uh, they had the short film. They may, or I guess it was the St. Louis filmmakers expo, right. Uh, in the spring. And I went out for that and, uh, caught friend, friend of the show, Mondo Franco's short that he debuted there is X okay. massacre. So yeah, yeah. He, um, he has a new feature film also. Uh, he just wrapped on, I don't know where it's at. And I mean, I guess it's in post right now, but, uh, is right. it Reaper road? I think. That's yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's a super cool dude. Yeah. He yeah. actually, I'm, I'm not throwing him under the bus here. He got sick, but he was supposed to play the, um, he was supposed to play the, the, uh, manager of the strip club and triple X. Oh, really? really? And he got sick. He got sick. He got really sick. Wow. 
And he texted me earlier that day and he's like, man, I don't think I'm going to make it out. And I was like, okay, man, I, I hate to hear that for so many reasons, but I understand. I mean, if you're sick, I don't want you to like come out and it was cold out and it was like raining kind of, and it was yeah, like, yeah. and, um, you know, I, th that's another plus is right now I'm at a point where I can't say it's always easy, but between me and if I reach out to two other, three other people, I can usually find a replacement actor that I trust and have worked with. Um, within a couple hours, usually not all. Wow. That's great. That's uh, it's, great. Yeah. It's, it's nice for sure. It's, especially if you've worked with the person before, you know, uh, yeah. cause it's nice to be able to have that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned shooting a scene over at heavy anchors. So actually I just worked with Mondo Franco on Reaper road. Uh, okay. he didn't know, but his guy that he was scoring his film was a friend of mine. Oh, okay. And, uh, he, he was tasked with employing a band for the live performance that the, I guess the lead characters are there to see, you know, this reunion of these artists that are doing a fundraiser for one of the characters who uh, I believe has breast cancer in the film. And uh, so I ended up being the bassist in the band that will oh, be nice. in the film. So, yeah. So you'll see me there. My first, my first acting gig. That's awesome. Uh, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's probably, it's probably not that big of a stretch because you're a musician. You've done a lot of that. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was pretty easy. Uh, all I had to do was just get up there and do what he told me to do. So right. you know, yeah, I right. can follow orders, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, but so, of course, I saw tri Triple Xmas last night. Uh, the uh, was a Village Video is yeah. the name of the yeah. yeah it's, okay, it's newvillagevideo.com. New Village Video. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I use that service. Very easy interface to use if folks can't get out to actually see you know a screening in person. So. I do highly recommend it. Use PayPal. Everybody's got PayPal nowadays. Uh, and, and very cheap, three ninety nine to watch the film. So can't encourage yeah, and, folks enough to take a look at it. And I, I, I just, so I, I was new to that service and new to them. This is the first time we've had a film on their service. And I am very happy to report that one, I met them or knew about them because of another filmmaker that I had interviewed and they had a good experience with them. And then I didn't realize this, but one of the owners of that is a filmmaker as well. And they also support kind of like, um, they, they support films that may not always make it on mainstream streaming services. And what I mean by that is, is if there's a lot of extra nudity or a lot of extra gore, um, right. they support those films and they don't, you know, they don't see a need to say, Hey, we're not going to show this. And you know, you saw triple Xmas. We definitely pushed the limits as far as how much nudity you're going to put in a film that's going to make it on a mainstream streaming service. You know, right. I, I, I do believe Amazon's going to pick us up. It has, they have selected us, but that doesn't mean anything. They could decide to turn us down any, at any point. I mean, right. That's how it works, <laughs> especially when you're sure. an indie film, you know? Sure. I hear that. Yeah. So you, you've already touched on some of the, the big things that, you know, cause the movie opens up and the nudity is there, you know, full, full frontal for everybody. So for sure, uh, for sure. Yeah. And, I was just, you know, for me watching this kind of going in blindly because I hadn't seen any of your work before, uh, other than, you know, like stills and stuff and, sure. you know, read about it. Uh, I, I didn't know quite what ride I was in for like a hundred percent. Saw the trailer. I had some assumptions. Right. Uh, I mean, but, also the poster, I think the poster will also give you an idea and the name. Sure. I sure. mean, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Right. right. And so like at first I was just, I, I wasn't real sure. Am I, am I going to be watching like, is there people that are coming this confused thinking that this is like a porno? I've had three think? or four people ask and I've seen yeah. people ask other uh, actors that were involved with the film. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it's not a porno for sure. Right. And you know, like there is, you know, the funny enough, there is, um, 
a little bit of subtext for sure that is saying that there's nothing wrong with sex work. And I want to put that, sure. I want to make sure that's very clear. Absolutely. Um, there's like some heavy sarcasm and like this dark cynicism that the, that Santa Claus has in the film. Yes. And it, there's definitely commentary on that, uh, but it's in support of sex work and it's never, it's never made to, it's never made to Be shame degrading. anyone that does right. that. Right. And you know, there's at least a handful of people that are involved with the film that have done sex work or are currently doing sex work, uh, including sure. some producers. So, you know, yeah. 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 Yeah, obviously, uh, that's something that we've talked about openly several times on our show, and uh, we're obviously in support of that as well. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, old blood ta taboos associated with that shit, and uh, it's time to move on, people. We're in 2023. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I agree. Well, you know, um, our first film, Fontaine and the Vengeful Nun Who Wouldn't Die, you know, uh, just to give a real quick synopsis, it's about a nun who ripped her own eyeball out in a short film that we made. She went nuts. And she ends up hunting down corrupt clergy and Nazis with a chainsaw and a katana. Okay. That's a fucking, that's, that's a statement. That's a statement. Yeah. Now she's also a lesbian in the film because non-sploitation, if you go back to like sixties and seventies films, it almost right. involved tons of nudity and tons of lesbian sex. Um, yeah. So everything in that film is on display with regards to exploitation. The one thing that we didn't exploit was the lesbian relationship. There's a kiss and that's all that takes place. There are boobs at other places in the movie and there's even a fake dong at one point, but we didn't like, I, that was one thing I didn't want to, you know, you already have a crazy bizarro fucking world, you know, like right. you already have this nuts world and, and the same thing with triple X was, that's what I'm getting at. Is right. You can have these crazy situations and make fun of things and have over the top gore and have fun with it, but you can still also treat certain aspects of it with respect and yeah, have a serious it. message sure. underneath it. If people pick up on it or if they're, you know, if it, sure. <laughs> you don't have to, but it's there, yeah. you know, it is there. Definitely. And the next point I wanted to like lean into, and you're kind of already hitting some of those notes is the fact that I, I feel like there's obviously an exploitation, you know, degree to this film. Sure. Um, I would assume, you know, you could use at, you know, things like sexploitation to a degree, but I think just like exploitation overall, um, is definitely an influence on the filmmaking. I would actually kind of like consider this an exploitation film. Do you, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, it wasn't that I was, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think so. I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> yeah. I, um, you know, I, I guess like if you're taking a good look at it compared to like our first film, that's my first thought. And then I'm like, well, not as much, you know, I mean, but, sure. and, and, you know, our first film was like a love letter to like seventies exploitation films. So this right. one definitely is more of, I would say an homage to like eighties and nineties exploitation films, probably, sure. you know? Yeah. Um, there's a kill that's a direct, it's a direct, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's one of my favorite kills in a horror film ever. And that's brain dead, dead alive by Peter Jackson. You know, yeah. and we don't need to get into that. I don't want to spoil anything, but sure, sure. it's, it's easily one of my favorite kills in the film. And it's one that I've been wanting to incorporate. We were, we were working on, um, a high fantasy comedy drama style thing that really wasn't any one genre that was going to be a show. But then like the right. budget just, it just ballooned to such a huge amount right. that I was like, we can't do this for what we have. And I wanted to use that kill in that as a huge finishing kill for like the first episode with this epic standoff between this barbarian and this demon. And uh, so it's been around in my head for years that I wanted to do that kill. So I got that out, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
you know, one thing too that I wanted to touch on uh, with the film is that, like, there's a lot of Easter eggs for people that are fans of film or cinephiles or fans of particular directors or you're at least aware of their work. You know, there's little lines, and I don't feel like it gives too much away, but references to Gus Van Zant be- being a person who remakes movies. And, yes. Uh, you know, references to Gaspar No, Gaspar yeah. fucking No. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's in a darkly comedic moment, but that's shit that's like right up my alley, and it's so fitting in the moment as well. Um, so you know, there's a lot, a lot of stuff beyond you know, just like I don't think it's fair to just like paint this movie with the exploitation brush. Not that that's a negative thing to begin with, but I think you know, there's certainly people that hear that might discredit a film just because of that as well. Right, but you know what? I, let's be honest; those people. I, do I, I mean, do I really care? I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not right. trying to convince anyone to watch my stuff. If, if you see the poster and it looks cool, if you see the trailer and you're like, okay, this is an indie film, it's going to have flaws, but I have heard they used almost all practical effects and they put a lot of love right. and care into it. And it's a unique storyline for sure. <laughs> you're right. Right. You know, um, th- there's a lot of commentary on indie film. Like there's a lot of commentary on indie film in this. And sure. there's also a lot of commentary on people having just a little bit of success that are indie filmmakers and then like becoming full of themselves. Right. And it's like, yes. we're all human. I don't, I don't care who you are. You know, if, if, if you're the biggest star in the world and you're an a-hole, you're still an a-hole, you know? I mean, right. like, <laughs> absolutely. So there's, there's a, there's a lot of little things that I tried to like weave in and out of this. Um, there's there's dad joke humor you know i mean like santa has some i mean he he has some one-liners that are up there and when you incorporate them into the circumstances of what's going on it's like oh did he really just say that and then you'll either laugh out loud when you first hear it or you're going to shake your head and laugh at the at us for writing it one of those two things is probably going to happen either definitely Definitely. (laughs) i would say like my top like three favorite things about the movie just like not to give too much away sure Uh, you know what I already talked about, kind of just like the little Easter eggs and references to like other directors and things that like cinephiles will pick up on, mm-hmm. like commentary, like you mentioned, on um, you know certain types, and as well as the practical effects pieces, of course. So I'm always a huge fan of practical effects in movies. If you can do it, I will. You know, there's always like this realism that comes across the screen when done right with practical effects that you just do not get with CGI. Uh, yeah. The one thing that you mentioned that is CGI, I understand why it is because of what the gag is. Right. Um, you know, it, we, it, it we, would we, be difficult. We built a head for that. We built a head yeah. for that and attempted it three times. <laughs> yeah. I, I could see how that, that would be difficult. And, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't a, a moment. I was actually surprised to see it not be practical just because I, everything right. I had seen was practical up to that point and it right. suspected would be. Yeah. Um, but, but it's it's still not done badly with an independent film, so you, I think you guys, you know, right? But it, 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 it hurt my soul. It hurt my soul, but also I understand that. And this is a big lesson I learned with Fontaine: is you have to like, you just have to go with it. And sometimes yeah. you don't want to like, you don't want to sacrifice quality in any way, shape, or form. But sometimes things are the way they are, especially when you only have so much money and you only have so much time. And right. You release that into the world and then you're either happy with it or you're not happy with it, but then you go on to the next thing and you know, it's, it is what it is, you know? Um, and I think we have some killer practical effects in this, you know, and, and some, a lot of the kills are just, they work really well, I think. Yes, absolutely. 
And the performance that stands out the most to me, and it's not to say that you know anybody did a bad job or anything, is definitely uh, Drew Marvick's yeah. performance as Santa. Yeah. And uh, I really do love him. And there's just like little like comedic timing things, like dark comedy timings and things that he does. And I'm, I'm sure some of that's your direction as well. But I mean, he just just killed the performance. Uh, he, you know, there he was is, a dull he, moment with him on the screen. He is amazing, and he. He, yeah, he's just amazing. He's definitely someone. This was the first time we worked together. Uh, when I was writing the first draft, I became aware of him, and immediately I knew, like almost almost immediately as I started writing, I was just started picturing him as the character, right? And uh, you know, he showed up on set, and he elevated everything that I, I wrote, and everything that my co-writer's name is Louis Otero. Everything that we wrote. Uh, you know, Drew just elevated. And on top of all that, he's a funny guy. He's just really, really funny. Like some of the outtakes on the Blu-ray are just, you know, him sitting there and he's, well, I don't want to give it away because it's a spoiler, but him like making a joke in a scene that like references what's to happen later in the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, ha ha ha. You're so sweet. We're so great. And he's like, I'll kill you later. <laughs> right. 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 You know, it's Absolutely. on the Blu-ray and I'm like, Oh my God, Drew. Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. He, he's great. And honestly, everybody, you know, everybody came in and did the absolute best they could. And there was a lot of challenges as with all indie film, you know, but sure. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to working with pretty much everyone again. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of made a comment about this earlier, like when I asked the question, you know, do you think that people think that this is a porno? I saw uh, on Jonathan May's Facebook that he had mentioned that like people were asking him <laughs> if he was a porn star. Like that's a thing that he gets asked way too often now. So I got a good, I got a good chuckle out of that. For sure. Yeah. So, so Jonathan May, I don't know if you ever talked to him. He's actually, uh, he's done comedy. He's done stand up. He's from St. Louis. Yeah. He, um, and I've worked with him now. Let me think. He was in Absolution. He was actually in all three films. Uh, this is the first lead. So we've done three features together and he did one short film. Uh, you want to check out High Five with him in it? I, I think that's, it's a short film. It's on YouTube. Okay. It's like five minutes long. And also, it also has Kurt Abishan. So, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's called High Five and it's a comedy. So it's completely different. But, um, he is so funny. And he played um, in Fontaine. He was like a, he was like a cokehead, just snorting coke off a table, and he gets killed. Like he has a, a little fight skirmish, he gets killed. And then yeah. uh, in Absolution, he's an extra in a diner, just an extra, like he nothing big, not even a line. And then uh, in this, he was the lead. And you know, and then of course, like I said, the short film. I, I love Jonathan. He's he's awesome. And yeah, yeah. I I, I want to continue to expand my circle and work with people outside of St. Louis, but I never want to abandon st louis or sure. forego the actors here because i'll tell you what there are some, some super talented actors and there's there's actors i'm aware of that i haven't had the opportunity yet that i'm just i've seen in other things that are local yeah. that i really what jackie kelly i've never worked oh, with yeah. her I, I really want to work with her like i, I know mondo's work yeah. i know a lot of people have worked with her she looks she, she seems like someone that would be phenomenal to work with uh scott dunn uh he's a local guy that i've seen i've seen him in some short films uh, he was uh, Red Knight at Skies, uh, Chris Grega's new film that just came out at the high point three weeks ago. Um, he's just, he, yeah, there's a lot of local talent um, that yeah. I really want to try to try to work with in some capacity. And people I've worked with in the past also that I just haven't had the the option to work with again or scheduling wasn't working, you know? Yeah. 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 Jackie's a real pro. We, we featured her at a part of our Women's Month. We selected right. some really talented women and 
we got a chance to sit down and talk with her for about an hour and a half. And man, she's she's excellent. I've seen her in several different things as well. And I got the opportunity to see her work firsthand uh, in person at Reaper Road as well. She's one of the female leads there. And uh, it was, uh, you know, you get goosebumps if you have an appreciation for that sort of thing. You see the type right. of performance in person yeah. for sure. Yeah. She's very talented. So another another thing I got to say too, you mentioned Jonathan and Mike and Jonathan. I think he's got a likability too that comes across the screen. You know, again, another character that I enjoyed in the film quite a bit. Yeah. he. Uh, so I was reading one of the earlier reviews we got and one of them said, um, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be cussing on here, but he said, uh, you can. The, the, the review, the review said Jonathan may is just fucking lovable. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? My reply was, you know what? I am 100% going to agree with you. And I'm gonna tell you right now, that's how he is in real life too. And he's just a good dude. And I think it shines through, but if you watch his, his little, his small role in Fontaine, he also looked like he was pretty like someone you wouldn't want to mess with in a fight also. So like, you know, yeah. he, he has the chops and, um, he definitely does the comedy and the likable, uh, role very, very well for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. Now, uh, one gag I got to give away that I absolutely love though. <laughs> and it's, it's just a small thing, uh -huh. but it, again, it goes back to like that darkly comedic stuff is, uh, on one of the occasions that Santa's getting his cookies. Cause of course, Santa's got to have his cookies, right? Oh yeah. Uh, he dips the cookie in blood. <laughs> and then takes a bite out of it and and enjoys it even more so. You know, you know what I, I love? I absolutely love that. What I absolutely love is that the uh, the few things that you've brought up overall have not done as well in a theater experience uh, as I would have expected. Um, one of them is that one joke about Gus Van Sant. Like, right. that's one that I, I've, I've watched this movie over a hundred times. If you edit a film, and you color grade a film and then you go through and approve sound mixes and have you you've done 10 sound mixes you've watched a film a hundred times i guarantee you and uh and i've watched it twice with audiences and the gus van sant thing no one ever seems to get and like to me every single time i watched it in the edit and every single time yeah. i was going through i laughed every time and it's not even something i wrote it's something lewis wrote but I just yeah. thought it was like the funniest thing ever. And I'm just thinking maybe people don't get that because they don't get the reference. I'm not sure. But like to me, that's it, that's that's hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. And it's a good chance that people don't. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's I OK. I mean, yeah, I don't know that guest fans is as prominent as he once was either in, in most people's eyes. Right. As well. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how many people understand that the reference at the beginning with uh, Kurt Abishan doing that like horrible dance that's a that's a complete right. reference to crispin glover and fry the 13th you know and right. you know just having like a dance that's so ridiculous and i didn't show him the dance i didn't show him on purpose he's never seen that but i told him i needed him to come out and dance as, as like the worst he could dance and like right. make it obnoxious and i needed their reactions to be authentic to it and so he did. And then I showed it to him like a week or two later. And he's like, Oh my God. He's like, well, I think I, I think I was successful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. What, one thing that's been plaguing me since I've watched this movie, I got to know how soft is a chinchilla's nutsack. <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting uh, simile to, to have in the movie there. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, I think, I think having fun with the script, especially when it's something like this, you know, um, I, I, I think go for it. You know, I think, I think a lot of people are too afraid to put things out there. And again, that wasn't my line. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take credit for some of the, the one-liners for sure. Cause I was super excited. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I wrote the um I wrote the line that comes after someone has their uh, their junk uh, mutilated, and um, yeah. the co-writer who had who had like um he had obviously reread the script multiple times as we were passing drafts back and forth. He was on site, he was on set, and he was acting as script supervisor. And he walked in, he goes, "James, I just got that joke." <laughs> And he started yeah. laughing like we had to like he was laughing so loud. <laughs> why, did, why did it take me to like why did it take to I was on set to hear Drew say that for me to get that? And I was like, I don't know, right. but I'm glad you appreciate it now. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's so many little like quick little quips with this movie, too, that I think like if you aren't paying attention, like it could be easily lost on YouTube for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know for a fact uh, when we had our screaming he- screening here at High Point, uh, the audience was, I mean, like, you know, it's home home team advantage, I guess, you know, <laughs> but sure. the audience absolutely loved it here. They they really liked it in PA, but I think the reaction here was much bigger. And there were a couple times where people were laughing and they missed the next thing because they were laughing so much. And that was fun also. Right. Um, you know, w- with our first film, we screened it at a drive-in. And so you don't really get to see or hear people's reactions because you're all in different cars, yeah. you know, but I also really from the get go had always said I was going to do the screening for Fontaine at a drive in because it reminded me of a drive in movie. That's kind of what the aesthetic, everything about it was, you know, sure, sure. Um, so, so high point on the second was the first time I'd ever sat in a theater with someone with a group of people watching a film that we finished. Yeah. Which was, it was, it was, yeah. it was a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine for sure. Now, uh, the total runtime of the movie, I believe, is seventy-two minutes. Correct? Yes. Or correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's so this. Yeah, this is a quick watch, everybody. So I, you know, I, I can't encourage people enough to give this a chance, and you know, the convenience of the new Village Video platform as well. You know, and we're definitely going to have, of course, on the on-demand version of this episode, we're going to have links. We're going to be sharing that across our social media, so you guys can catch the film as well. We'll make it real easy for you. So. Don't freak out about this if you guys are listening to the on-demand version. Of course, wait till you get stopped and you're somewhere safe. Those those links will be there for you without question. You know? <laughs> we we also have Blu-rays for pre-order. Uh, I I doubt they'd be at your house by Christmas just because of what the uh, post office told me earlier with uh, delays in shipping. But uh, <laughs> we do have, uh, and, and I'll I'll let you know what that is, and you can include it. But it's MonsterKidFilms.com, and people oh. can go there and pre-order the Blu-ray, and this should be shipped out in the next week or so. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, if you guys are part of that physical media uh, curation and, and like to have your phys- physical media c- collections in order, uh, that's something, of course, that we promote on our show. And uh, we can't encourage you enough to do that. And of course, it's supporting a St. Louis area filmmaker and filmmakers, I should say, because you're using a lot of St. Louis talent in this film, too. Sure. Yeah. And I, and I think we always will, you know, um, not getting too far off topic, but I was talking to some St. Louis filmmakers yesterday. Uh, I was on the uh, Chris Gregg's podcast, the Indie Film Sucks podcast, and he uh, we were talking about tax credits coming back to Missouri for indie f- for film, you know. And yeah. uh, I hope that I hope that's something that really we can make use of because I'll be honest with you, up to that point, the next film we were looking at making, I was looking at tax credits and where we could go that was outside of St. Louis for sure, right? Uh, because you know, especially once you start to hit a certain, I mean, like, I think the tax credit here works no matter what level you're at. I think 50 is the lowest, but that's something that we can do for sure. But I know PA has one. I know Georgia. I mean, the, 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 the TV show Ozark wasn't shot here in the Ozarks because right. we didn't have a tax. Cr- I mean, come on, yeah. you know, like, I yeah, know. It's yeah. ridiculous. 
that's a lot that's a lot of revenue lost uh as far as all the accommodations and the the lodging food everything yeah. you know yeah i think uh and somebody out there is going to yell at me and correct me probably but i believe that uh fincher actually went and like hacked out his own deal to shoot in cape because that's where they shot gone girl at yeah I, and uh yeah i think he like actually worked with the city directly or his team did anyways yeah uh, to get some like benefits of you know shooting the film there yeah, it's it's crazy that you'd have to go that far. And then if you're not Fincher right. and you don't have that support system around you, right. you're too focused on just trying to get the film made, let alone trying to find the breaks for it, you know? Right. Um, but, you know, again, as we continue to push and kind of go to the next level, you know, I, I do want to step up our budgets, step up the resources we have at our disposal. And... Right even spend more time in pre-production on, you know, the next, the next, uh, projects. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think we'll be utilizing a tax credit wherever we, you know, and, and that'll, that'll, that'll definitely determine where we shoot at, you know, and I'm not opposed yeah. to flying people from St. Louis out either. Uh, you know, cause I, I will want to work with St. Louis talent again, but it's way easier to have a lot of the extras and a lot of, you know, just even the crew, um, you know, flying right. crew out. That's that, doesn't make sense for me you know even if i love sure. people you know talent you know is one thing crew you know there's a handful of people but outside of that if we're not shooting here locally it, it'll be easier for me to hire a crew somewhere else you know and, right for sure and that that, that, that sucks because you know so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about uh, i'm excited about the tax credits i hope that they can work in our favor for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, one last question i wanted to ask about yeah. this movie or at least how it relates to this movie is, uh, you know, we've kind of talked about like shooting schedules and the links of these various movies that you've done as well. And I'm sure like a lot of that's dictated, you know, based on what venue you have on what days and that sort of thing. Was there any particular reason that you like shot, you know, within nine days, triple Xmas, you know, the majority of it? Yeah. I mean, the biggest factor, money. <laughs> yeah. Money, honestly. Um, it, it was triple Xmas was too ambitious and as is everything I write pretty much if I'm being 100% honest. So it was too ambitious uh, and not just in what was being put on the screen, but also the amount of time we had. Uh, so also back to the money portion, uh, we rented an Airbnb and they knew that we were shooting there and we had it for eight, nine days. And cause we shot one day ahead of time here at our house actually. And, um, and so when we shot there, uh, I also made use of all the rooms cause it was like six bedrooms. And so we had a lot of the cast that was in from out of town stay there, which saved paying for hotel rooms, right. you know? So right. it's just one of those things, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I don't get me wrong. Like I, someone asked me one of the first interviews we did for triple Xmas. Uh, someone asked me if I had a hundred thousand dollars, you know, how would I have spent it on triple Xmas a hundred thousand dollars more? And I said, honestly, I probably would have spent 15,000 of it and had a couple more days on set with some actors and done a few more things. And I said, the other 85,000, I probably would have just went and made another movie. If I'm being honest, yeah. I, don't, I don't need a hundred thousand more to make a movie called triple X. <laughs> right. 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 So, yeah. so let's touch on a little bit of more of absolution before we wrap things up today. Yeah. Cause you know, I'm intrigued by that. I know it's something that you said that's basically in post at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually halfway done uh, with the rough cut. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's what's a the film about. Yeah. It's a completely different kind of film altogether than our first two. Uh, 
It is about an alcoholic Vietnam veteran who stumbles upon, uh, gets into an altercation with a gang member, and then he ends up finding a girl that, that they assaulted and left for dead. He sews her back up, and they kind of create this friendship, and then it does go the route of revenge, and you have this older Vietnam vet who is just, you know, a raging alcoholic, and he's kind of, it's kind of a gang versus him, and um, I, I want to say, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Blue Rune. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Love it. That was the main inspiration for it, for sure. Okay. Um, With just a touch, and I mean... Just like, you know, a little bit of salt, just a little bit of salt of death wish. Sure. Um, you know, and so when it comes to like uh, the older guy setting up traps in his home and, right. you know, like the ways in which he dispatches of some of these gang members. Um, so it's not horror. It's definitely like a revenge thriller um, with touches of drama in it, you know. And so cool. it, it's definitely a different kind of film. And I, I hope that it, um, it it works with everybody. And yeah. it. It, it's it's a lot heavier. Like it's not it's not a fun it's not a fun playful laughing every minute uh, gory sure. over the top over the top gory definitely not. There is some gory kills in it, yeah. but it's not it's not a fun film for sure. It's more in line with a serious revenge flick, which I thought was really cool to make. But it also in post was starting to weigh on me a little bit because it is a much heavier film. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of you know revenge films. You know, Old Boy is perhaps my favorite film of all time. That's one so. of the best hallway sequences of all time. Uh, I mean, without question. Yeah, and it's been like robbed from so many times since, and nobody sure. can sure. quite replicate it, in my opinion. Daredevil you know? did a good job at they trying did really to in good. their own I way. Agree. In their own I way. Agree. And I haven't even yeah, watched like, Daredevil. I just watched that scene to know that they did a good job. Yeah, I will be fair. Like whenever I saw that. uh like me and my friends talked about that and it was like, man, that's like the PG old boy hallway yeah. scene right there. You know, yeah, like they, for sure. they did pull it off for sure. Yeah. 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 Very few films have, you know, I, this isn't, it's, I would kind of consider this like a martial arts movie technically, but like the raid of course also has some oh. pretty sweet tight, you know, action the, sequences. The raid one and two, I mean, uh, Kill two, it. I mean, both of them, honestly, both of them, but two, there's the, 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 the fight out in the, um, the, the jail yard and then the fight just sitting there, uh, in that like little stall when he's fighting yeah. off everybody. It's nuts. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Lot, lots of good fight scenes out there, yeah. but, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad to be hearing that you're, you know, delving into like the revenge genre as well because that's uh one of my favorites without question yeah, I, I think it's mine also because like um fontaine definitely has a lot of that's a lot of what the film is about is revenge sure so, yeah well you're kind of like already you it's it's like an automatic audience in the sense that like you're you already got people like rooting for the good guy right right and, and you regardless of like what ultimately transpires or like what the payoff is like you've got that invested audience immediately like you want them to get you know, the revenge. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I think, I think one big difference just as far as theme, not, not how serious it's taken or if it's a B film or not, but the theme of Fontaine is more about anger and like that unbridled fury that people have when they're younger. I feel like, which I had a lot of hate and a lot of anger in me at one point when I was younger. So I definitely like put that into Fontaine. Um, you know, just, it wasn't even at that point in my life that I had it, but I knew what it was like to have it. And so that was kind of what I channeled in the Fontaine with um, absolution. It's more about sitting with the choices you made earlier in life and having to be okay with those choices and what you can do with the time you have left and how you, 
how you go about life, you know, and what, you know, yeah. and just, and just like handling that and dealing with all that heaviness and someone yeah. that's in their seventies who went through a war and is an, is an, you know, an alcoholic and all this other backstory that's in the film. That's why I say it, it, it's heavy, you know? So yeah. I, I just hope it connects with audiences in that way. And I also hope that, um, people that watch triple Xmas and Fontaine, don't expect that kind of movie going into it. And I don't think they right. will if they watch the trailer. I, I don't I don't right. think they will at all. <laughs> sure. I know you said you're like kinda of like halfway through post. Do you have like a ballpark of an idea of like wait what's what's the goal on getting this released you know, sometime uh, my, next year? My goal is yeah, my goal is fall of next year, maybe winter. Um I, I really pushed myself with triple Xmas to get it out for Christmas this year. So I'm going to take my time on it. Um, it'll be the first film that we have a, something that was properly scored, you know, triple Xmas. We kind of had sheets because a lot of, a lot of Christmas music we could use. Right. Right. For sure. And with Fontaine, I had a, a service that I could make use of, but this will have a proper score that of course costs money and I'm out of pocket right. for all this. And uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of small things that have to be done. There's explosions that take place in the film and, and, you know, as much as I would have loved to have made them practical, the properties we were on were not going to allow, uh, you know, a practical explosion. So that's visual effects. Right. And if you're going to make anything with visual effects look good, you're going to spend a lot of money on it. So, absolutely, you know, we're going to spend money on it. <laughs> yep. You know, you got to know what hills to die on for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. So I kind of want to round things out today with like picking your brain, let our audience get to know you a little bit better about some of just like your own personal fandom, James. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I would kind of like to start, you know, and I know this is like so hard to answer. So bear with me. Uh, could you perhaps give us like, if you were to be on a desert island uh, and let's try to keep it like kind of four movies that you would have to have that you could watch endlessly on this deserted island. Four movies. Yes. Okay. Um, this this is tough. Uh, I see, I know my first two like instinctual. Uh, <laughs> uh may maybe Breakfast Club. I, oh, I'm, I love I'm, it. I'm, I'm gonna try to start with something like that. It's um, it's heavy, but it's not. It's not horror, you know. It's um, so wild that you say that because I literally like driving home from work tonight with my daughter. I was just like reminiscing on like old movies <laughs> that I used to like whenever I was a kid. Like I discovered on my own, like my parents didn't lead me to or whatever. Yeah, and I was like, man, not enough people talk about Breakfast Club present day. It's, I was it's, like, it's great. I mean, you know, it's it's forty years old almost now, but not right. quite, but close. But it's it's the movie that I had on VHS that I almost like ran, I, I almost wore it out just watching it over and over. You know, yeah. um, so uh, so Breakfast Club, uh, Evil Dead Two. I mean, it's oh, it's yeah. one of my favorite films of all time. Um, <sighs> Brain Dead, Dead Alive. Uh, the yeah. same movie, different names. You know, Peter Jackson right. early work. Wow, the fourth one. I need to go with something serious, but I don't know. Uh, hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm gonna go with Swiss Army Man because it's on theme for okay. being uh all alone by yourself. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, and, and it's also like I I love the, those directors. They went on to make um everything everywhere all at once. So yes, you know. And um, I I almost said that, but I was like, eh, we'll go with Swiss Army Man. It's more. It, it, yeah, I, I think that would be my four for right now. Now, you ask me tomorrow, it'd probably be different. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did enjoy Swiss Army Man quite a bit, and I think it caught like, a lot of people off guard because uh, they suspected, you know, to some of the actors to be a little bit more involved in the film as sure. to what they actually were, you know, sure. literally yeah. playing like a dead body the whole time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And, you know, it, it, 
it kind of sets this tone, but at the end, it really punches you in the gut, and you just don't see it coming. A million, there's sure. no way that you're really going to see it coming. I don't think, and so, yeah, it, I, I think it's a great film. Yeah, for sure, and it's like I don't know about you, but like anymore, I've seen so many films, it's kind of hard to like surprise me sometimes. Right, it's kind of like watching horror films. I I don't really get scared a whole lot. Um, sure, you know, yeah. So that's that's probably why I like to have fun with them a lot of times yeah. now, you know. Yeah. Uh, if, if there were foreign filmmakers all time, regardless of alive or dead, that you could meet, who would they be? Uh, Kurosawa, for sure. He um, and I haven't seen a lot of his stuff, but what I have seen is just it. It just engrosses me right away. He understood how to keep a frame moving even without the camera moving. And all that background stuff doesn't, it keeps your eye on the frame, but it doesn't distract you from what's going on. And that's incredibly difficult, I think, to do. <laughs> Definitely. Um, hmm. You said four that I could meet. Um, yeah. Alive or dead. Oh, wow. This is, this is a good one. Um, I think. I want to say Tarantino, but I'm not going to say Tarantino because I wouldn't be able to ask him. I'd ask one question. He'd talk for four hours. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say Tarantino. That. Yeah. <laughs> and I do love, I do love his work. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I, you know, someone that I, I think is often overlooked, but I think is amazing is Spielberg. And I know that like, he's known as like great, but like a lot of people now, I feel like especially younger people don't want to give him credit for what he's done and what he continues to bring to the table so i think spielberg would be a good one um i've heard james cameron is the biggest dickhead in the world so we'll pass on him (laughs) yeah yeah well uh, i i thought it was funny whenever i was actually doing research on chronos uh recently because we did the uh, anniversary 30 year anniversary of chronos Mm -hmm. was that uh supposedly guillermo del toro has uh his book like he famously keeps books like little notes of all the stuff trials characters makes dioramas how he wants to stage the scene like right just he's got this like shorthand and he's like an amazing like artist of like trawler yeah as well yeah yeah um and apparently he let james cameron like borrow that like drunkenly and he never returned it to him mm. and he has no idea where it's at yeah and i'm just like are you serious like how do you how do you not notice it, this book that is yours in your home i don't, it, I don't know how that happens it is funny that you bring up del toro because honestly i was saving him for the last one but so he would be three or four one of the two um just because i think he is so incredibly talented and he seems like a soft-spoken like genuinely kind soul he seems yeah super humble yeah yeah Yeah. it seems so like and i think he 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 loves all kinds of film you know and that's also kind of what appeals me to someone like tarantino is that he's not he doesn't just like one kind of film. He could sit there and talk about all kinds of film right. and he, he really loves it and he loves, he just loves all of it, you know? So I think, so we have GDT, we have, um, we have, I'm trying to think of who all I've mentioned already, Kurosawa. And I think I would add maybe Romero. Uh, oh, it's, it's so tough. Like I want to say Carpenter cause he's one of my favorite uh, of the more modern eighties, nineties, you know, uh, right. film directors. Um, I'm a good carpenter. I'm a good carpenter. I'm a good carpenter. I I, okay. I think carpenter would be my fourth one. Then yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Big fan of carpenter. Yeah, I'm, I uh, I, I love st- too many of his movies. I absolutely are like in my top. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> are you? Um, 
very particular about like movie scores. Like, do you have some favorite movie scores? I'm not. Legends? I I know I noticed them, but I'm not like overly obsessed with them. I yeah. do think that uh, again, going back to Carpenter, which kind of also makes me that much more interested in like his work and why I kind of catapult him to even uh, like as like the top of the top filmmakers isn't just that he's a director and a writer, but he, he makes these scores that, you know, the score can really either create or destroy a film. <laughs> yes. For and sure. he, the atmosphere that he brings to his films with his scores are just, and I love that. Like I know synth has been kind of brought back and then kind of beat to death, but I feel like his stuff sounds so different and unique. And sure. I'm sure someone else has done that before him, but to me, he's the person that really introduced me to that style of music. And um, yeah. so if we're, if we're talking a score, like right off the top of my head, I would mention Carpenter and that would be the first person that I would kind of gravitate towards. Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, on the subject of music, do mm-hmm. you have any like favorite artists? Like, what, what's maybe like your four favorite artists? Yeah, that's a t- that's an interesting one. I go all over the place. My absolute favorite artist <laughs> is uh, Weezer, and uh, okay. I think there's I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think the number one reason I do like their music quite a bit. Um, they've been around forever, but right. I think they are the first person, the first people that s- showed me that you don't have to slick back your hair, wear an earring, or do whatever you know right, to right. be cool being yourself right. you can be cool and in some ways i think you're more cool just by embracing who you are and whatever you are you know i've been <laughs> telling dad jokes since i was 10 now it's fitting because i'm in my 40s but at 10 it definitely wasn't fitting and people really were confused you know now they're just like look at this 40 year old guy telling dad what an idiot you know which is fine it's probably <laughs> easier but so so weezer would be up there for sure um you know someone i don't listen to as much today but like really helps like shape my late teen years would be corn. I really loved okay. corn. Sure. Um, a more modern band that I started listening to um, that, you know, I'm not gonna say they're my favorite, but I really enjoy their stuff as bad flower. I don't know if you ever heard of them. I've heard of them. I, yeah. I don't really listen to them, but yeah, yeah ch- check their stuff out. They, they I, I really like, I really like them. Um, and then, you know, I would want to mix things up a little bit if we're talking four, and then I'd probably want to go to, probably honestly probably like snoop dog man he's been around so oh, yeah. long and yeah. i grew up listening to gangster rap at like 10 years old <laughs> like yeah. nwa and like you know dr dre and yeah. all that Public and so Academy. like yeah it just uh, yeah and i don't want to like stick to all like rock or rock adjacent kind of stuff so like yeah snoop dog's definitely up there for me yeah for sure so that would kind of round out the four i think very cool yeah yeah, uh, it's hard to beat those first two Weezer albums too. You know, you yeah, the Blue Album and Pinkerton. Those are ooh, just kiss. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, for sure. And if if you get a chance, check out their um their NPR performance they did. I don't know if it was like two years ago, three or four years ago, but like listening to them do four songs on NPR's Tiny Desk, I was like, man, I feel like they still got it. I don't know. I I, I love them. I yeah. whenever they come through, I always try to go see them. You know, yeah. I was like pretty impressed with like their Toto cover. Like I did not expect them <laughs> to like play that song and play it as well yeah. as they did. Yeah. I know that probably it's not 
sounds like very much like a fan for me to say that, but no, no, I was I, like, man, that's pretty impressive. I had no problems yeah. with it, but everybody around me wanted to slap me when I said that. So just, just prepare yourself, depending on who your friends are. They may not like you when you uh, say things like that. <laughs> I, I take unpopular decisions and takes with my right. friends all the time. You know? yeah. We're yeah. in a safe place, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, James, it was a pleasure getting to know you this evening, and uh, I think that a lot of our folks, uh, you know, based on our conversation that we had tonight, should have an interest in going and checking out your work. What's the best place for people to follow you and stay in tune with everything you've got going on? Yeah, honestly, the easiest way is through the site, because all my socials are linked to the site, um, monsterkidfilms.com. And, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, We have a Facebook group for Triple Xmas. I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Twitter on uh, at James D seven thousand four, um, Instagram monster underscore kid underscore productions. So <laughs> there's all these different all right. handles, but they're all really linked at monsterkidfilms.com. It's just the easiest way to find everything: the films we've worked on, uh, any kind of screening information, and then all my socials, including even the old podcast that we did where we interviewed other indie filmmakers. You know, so yeah, very cool. Yeah, very cool. And we, of course are going to have his website uh, in the episode details as well for the easy jump here. And we'll be posting that across our social media as well. One last question on the way out, James, what is a film that you are looking forward to that you have not seen yet this year? There, there, are, there are so many that I miss. There are so many. I want to tell you like 20 minutes before we hopped on here. I, I heard rumors of Beverly Hills cop four. I saw the trailer. I'm going to tell you, man, I'm excited. I think Eddie Murphy is someone that is an inspiration and I absolutely love him. I mean, like any career trajectory, there's going to be hits and misses, but I feel like he has way more hits than misses. And like, first of all, the dude still looks like he's 40 and I think he's like 65. I mean, that right there is just, (laughs) but, um, he, he's someone that I, I love watching his new stuff. He just came out with a Christmas movie. And if I had time, I'd probably get around to it. It's not necessarily like, it's more of a family sure. Christmas movie, but like Beverly Hills Cop Four, I'm I'm pretty pumped. I just I mean, I just twenty well hour and a half ago now just saw the trailer and I was like, oh yeah. okay, it's it you know it's not it, it's definitely paying homage to what they did before, but it's also stepped up the action to kind of be more in line with what you would expect by today's standards, you right, know. Right. And uh, yeah, it's he- the, the only thing that's really disappointing is that it's going straight to Netflix and I would love to see that film on a big screen, you know? So yeah. Yeah. If yeah, Triple Xmas can go to a big screen, they can get, they can get. <laughs> yeah. Beverly Hills it's Cop definitely a film screen. that pro- it should get that treatment for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like the big blockbuster action for sure. You know, as yeah. is all the other movies in that, that franchise in particular. Yeah. He's had a bit of a revival. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think coming coming to America too, uh, Dolomite, uh, the f- film he did with Jonah Hill, like he's had some, you know, yeah. I, I really <laughs> love that he came back and did SNL, which he said he would never do as well. Right, you know? right. I, but, Dolomite is amazing. Dolomite's amazing. Yeah. And I don't remember the name of the film with Jonah Hill, but that was really well done also. And I'm not going to talk about coming to America too. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well, James, thank you very much for coming on to the show. And folks, make sure you check out the episode de- details and give Triple Xmas a watch and give James a follow and keep up with everything he's got going on. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Hey, this is Josh from ATI Podcast. For show updates and news about the podcast, follow us on social media. You can follow us on 
Facebook at facebook.com slash ATI podcast 22 on Twitter at podcast underscore ATI on Instagram at the ATI podcast on TikTok at ATI podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at ATI podcast questions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there. This is Barrett from the ATI podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop. We'll be spotlighting folks and their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, or anywhere you enjoy your podcast. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support. And as always, please stay safe out there.